you grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the letter of Ephesians. Um, I'm thankful for our time together in this last Sunday of Advent. Uh, and ex- thankful to get to preach chapter 5, verse 15 through 16, the letter of Ephesians, in a sermon that I've titled, Wise Stewards. Let's look to our passage together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Look carefully then how you walk. What Paul is saying here is, Pay close attention to how you are living. This is Paul's charge to those who belong to God to make the most of their days that the Lord gives them under the sun. He's calling them to be good and faithful stewards. What's a steward? What is stewardship? Stewardship is our privileged opportunity to be faithful managers of God's provisions for God's glory. A privilege to be entrusted with God's provisions and to manage them, what belongs to Him, for His glory. And as Christians, we've moved out of enslavement to sin, where we were unable to see that our days belonged to Him, our lives, our families, our stuff. We were were so focused on self and our flesh. But in Christ, now we, we see and we savor the opportunity to live this life, to manage it in such a way that He is glorified, to to move away from a sinful view of this belongs to me or I deserve this or all the fleshly justifications that get us in trouble. We're going to talk a lot about stewardship this morning. I'm thankful for the timing of this passage in our year. Let me ask you, to what degree of attention do you really give to how you are living your days? we could be pretty guilty of going through long stretches of life and not really ever stopping to say, how am I living? What am I doing and why am I doing it? This is an important question because it's all too easy to get caught up in routines of life and to not really steward our days with much intentionality or organization or for their greater purpose. Instead, we wake up and we do what we need to do to get through the day or get through the season we're in and don't necessarily really slow to do what Paul says here, to look carefully at what you are doing, who it's for, and why you're doing it. Church, the Lord has blessed us to ordain that this passage would fall this time of year. It's a perfect time for us to slow and consider with real honest inventory why we live our days the way we do and and for what are we doing it. When you really understand what God has done to save us, the gift He's given to live for Him with the days He entrusts to us until He takes us home to holy heaven. When we really understand this, we will lean in to really want to look carefully at what we're doing with our lives. We see this emphasis throughout Scripture. Let me give you a quick taste of a couple verses that stand out to me as I've spent time in the Word preparing to preach today. A very popular one out the door. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Devoted means they so focused on it, it was almost exclusive. Meaning nothing else competed for their high level of attention to these things. The attention they were giving to the teaching of their shepherds, to the ministry God was giving them to do. If you're in a neat season of reformation or really walking in a more devoted faith life, likely your unbelieving family or friends have made this comment to you. that They've, they've seen this in you. Man, you really are devoted to church and these things in a way that I don't, I've never seen you do that. And why? Because there's a change in who you are and you see now who you belong to. You have a different purpose for your days. And so, yeah, you're not chasing all the club trophies and sports and you're not so fixed on getting that car built or, or, or on, you know, whatever these other things are that for many years of our lives we really wasted a lot of time on some pretty trivial stuff. No, there's a devotion, a, a faithful prioritization of the things of God. And that is sweet to us. It's enjoyable. It, it, there's a new purpose and a new motivation for our days. We're seeing the fruit of it, not only in our lives, but in those around us. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this for by doing for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers watch closely yourself your way of living your doctrine what you're learning it is your elders prayer here at disciples church that we would really help you do this well. To really value a close watch on your doctrine and on your living. These things so much shape who we are and why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do. Now, why is it important we watch our living and watch our doctrine? For your good and also for the good of those who are following you, who are watching you, who are learning from you. I don't have to tell you about the times you have slacked in doing this, only to realize that you've been slipping and it has met consequences to you and to those around you. You know what those are. You've seen the weight of that. You've seen the fallout of that. But church, we are to be, have careful attention to our living and our doctrine so that we fight to not drift away into sin, into falsehood, into ruin. This is how we fight to not lead those in our wake into ruin, into sin, into falsehood. So, if nothing else, right out the door this morning, there's got to be a really extra simple but pretty significant wake-up call to the fact that a lot of us can be really guilty of just kind of doing our days. And there's not a lot of intentionality or planning or stewardship of that, and there really should be. And what I'm excited about with today is what does it look like if you really begin to go at it that way? We heed this counsel of the word and, and we begin to look at our days differently. Where the, what the Lord will do with that is going to be really sweet. The author of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 2.1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. See how important this is, church. See with me what is at stake. That there's too much that is wasted or at risk when we don't pay close attention to how we're living. We don't get to do good at this and then slack. Our attention to this every day 
is how we honor God and the fact that He's given us that day to live for His glory and His purposes. Parents, you might be teaching your kids at home a lot of great truths of God in your family worship time or personal walking together down the path. And But I, I need to ask you, how, what are you teaching them by how you're living? By how you're navigating your days, your attitude, your priorities, the things you're given to, the things you're upset by, the ways you're stewarding your body, your, your marriage, your, your working, your, your home. What are you teaching them? Do they see that you take very seriously the fact that God has entrusted that to you to manage for His glory? If we're serious about honoring God with our lives, then we will take most seriously every day He gives us to live for Him. Christian, this can't just be something we generally agree with but then do nothing about. It must move us into honest evaluation and real adjustments for how we're walking, how we're living. Now Paul gets real specific with how we must be attentive stewards of the days God gives us under the sun. Look with me at the second part of verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. If we are going to effort to walk carefully in wisdom, then let's slow to really take hold of what wisdom is. Wisdom is the the soundness of our action or decisions regarding the application of truth or knowledge. We have truth and knowledge. The question is, how are you applying that? How soundly are you acting now upon that truth and knowledge that's wisdom knowledge is to know facts to have insight or understanding you can know a lot but really lack in wisdom wisdom is to know those facts and insight but to know what to do with them to act rightly wisely according to those facts or that insight. Wisdom is not just knowing something. I think sometimes that's the way we think about it. That's knowledge. Wisdom is a right application of what you know. This is why foolishness is when you know what is right, but then you fail to apply it. You act as a fool. It was right to do this, but I chose to do this. That was foolish. Wisdom has always been one of the most treasured things we could hope to have in our lives. We see it often spoken of in the Old Testament, for example. Wisdom and the word wise appear over 300 times in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament. So, To dig into this further, let's go a step further and recognize that the source of true wisdom is God. Job asked, but where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? That's Job 28.12. And God answered him in Job 28.28, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Paul said in Colossians 2.3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. The Holy Scriptures are clear to identify that the only way we know the wisdom of God is to know God. 
how desperate we are to know the Lord of glory and his divine wisdom. Listen to the words of Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let those who boast, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Have you trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? You no longer are Lord. He is. You belong to Him. You are privileged to live for Him, to be saved by Him. There is no wisdom of the Lord apart from a saving relationship with the Lord. Jesus Himself, who is the power of God, the wisdom of God, as was stated a moment ago. Look at, listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1.24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31 Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts, I'm sorry, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In Jesus' words, Matthew 7, 24-25, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. We must be born again. We must have a true relationship with the Lord Jesus. If we are to know the wisdom of God, if we are going to live out the wisdom of God, if we're going to be fixed on the rock, If we know Christ, I love James' encouragement in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So let me just ask you personally, are you hungry for wisdom? Desiring to truly live in a wise way? It is all too easy in our flesh to not really care about growing in wisdom. Our flesh is too quickly lazy or content. But we have to see that that's a settling for something far less than what God has called us to. Church, wisdom needs to be something we hunger for. And pursue because Christ is in us and He's working through us. Some of the absolute worst and most detrimental decisions I've seen people make over the last couple of decades in my ministry is when people are convinced to be wise in their own eyes. They've convinced themselves, I I've got the right hold on this. And People around me don't. Solomon is clear to say as much in Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It's one of the reasons why I've efforted in my growing faith walk to invite counsel. To stop and ask the question, is there something about this that I'm not seeing? Why? Because I, I, like you, can have an easy propensity to be wise in my own eyes, to justify, to rationalize, to... And so if I want to do what's wise, if I want to do what honors the Lord, then I will want to pause and ask someone to check me 
I want to bring that before Scripture, before the Lord, before trusted and mature brothers and sisters. There's something here I'm not seeing. And, and this allows us to be checked. It allows us to growingly make wise decisions. To fight that propensity to be wise in our own eyes. And what are the times where you don't want to do that? They are the times that you want to do it your way. <laughs> They're the times where you don't want to hear what's wise is not what you're thinking. Ah, but I really want it to go that way. I, and I've got a really, I mean, I've got a really legit table set for why this is going to work out. Right? When people are right in their own eyes, in their own wisdom, they no longer submit to God or to His Word. In this, we fail to practice real humility to effort to see what we don't see. Church, a righteous fear of the Lord will mean a real and regular practice of humility to sit under God's Word, to seek godly counsel, and then to act on it. This is how we fear the Lord, how we practice wisdom. The parts of you that are like, man, I just feel like I just don't have control that way. And I would say, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> you, you less and less see that it belongs to you, that it's to be controlled by you you more and more see that it belongs to God and you want Him to control and shape and direct it for you. The very thing that has you hung up on that is the very thing you need to be rid of. Here Solomon plead for his son. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This rails against your fleshly thinking. Your fleshly thinking says, I want to be in charge of it. I want to direct it. I know how I feel. I know what I want. Your fleshly thinking says, oh, asking those questions and slowing down to really put it on the table, like that, that just seems weak. That seems adolescent. I, I want to be stronger than that. I want to be better than that. But that's, that's your fleshly thinking. See the call of a father for his son to practice those things. That maturity is the sign of being able to do that. This is... My plea for each of you disciples, church, brothers and sisters. May it be so. We can't afford to be flippant or casual about growing in the wisdom of the Lord. We must look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Next, Paul builds on this in verse 16 by saying, Making the best use of the time. We are to make the best use of the time that God gives us in this life. Making the best use of our time is once again a stewardship emphasis. Again, stewardship is our privileged opportunity to be faithful managers of God's provisions and purposes. I want to be a faithful manager of what God's entrusted to me and called me to do. That's a privilege. Let me ask you to honestly evaluate. How are you stewarding, managing, 
the time that God's entrusted to you, the days he's entrusted to you. Do you see the importance and the urgency of how you steward your days? This is not something you're going to say, you know what? I'm busy with other stuff in this season of life. I'm going to get to that practice later. Right? I want to spend some real time this morning looking at time in a, an effort to better appreciate what, what Paul really means here when he says make best use of the time. The first thing we must realize is you did not draw the short end of the stick when it comes to time. Even though you're really good at telling yourself this. Sure, the Lord numbers all of our days and what He ordains for the length of our lives is different. That belongs to Him. That's related to His decree, not His command. We're responsible for His command. So what are we doing with the day He gives us today, the time He entrusts to us? What you have to realize is you have the same amount of time as everyone else. That's really simple and yet profound. A 24-hour day is the same for you as everyone else. Right? Even if the sun goes down earlier and you're a part of the world, even if you live in a part of the world that's really cold, you still live in a world where 24 hours makes a day. Therefore, you can't, even though you like to say this, make time. I need to make time for that. No, no, no. You can't do that. You also can't save time. I'm going to put some time in my pocket here. I'm going to save time. You can't do that either. You have all the time that there is. You have the same amount of time as anyone else in any given day. It is only our flesh or our habits or our bad stewardship or misplaced commitments that causes us to feel like we don't have enough time. The person who says they don't have time is lying. In all of its simplicity, that is a lie. You have all the same time as I do. What they're meaning to say, and this is where we could just get better at our words. What, what I think you're meaning to say when you say that is that you've chosen to fill your time with other things in such a way that you're committed to those things and busy with those things instead of being saying yes or doing the thing that you're being asked about. This is why what we choose to say yes to, what we choose to fill our days with, the kind of job we choose, the kind of payments we agree to, the extracurricular commitments we make, all have huge ramification on our lives and how we live our lives. So you might be really convinced that you know, I, I just am too busy. Well, if you really look back honestly, a lot of the decisions you made are part of maybe what that equals, right? And so, what are we doing to steward these things, these seasons, these realities? What I want you to realize is that God has given you today, and He's asked you to be a good steward of His provisions and His priorities for His glory. Or as Paul says in our verse today, to, be, to make the best use of the time he's entrusted to us. So you have the same amount of time as the person next to you to do the things God has called you and commissioned you to do. The question is, what are you doing with that time? I just finished taking a group of brothers in our church through... Uh, four weeks of focused discipleship in the area of time management. Brothers who had identified, I'm struggling with that practice, and I could use some, some coaching, some, some training in that area. 
Um, or, or I want to just grow better. I want to be a better steward. Um, some of the quick nuts and bolts of some of the things we covered, I'll share with you briefly. Good time management includes a right understanding and identification of the priorities God has given you. We, in this exercise, call these our governing values. The things that govern our decision-making is linked to what we value, or it needs to be. More theologically correct way of saying that is, what has God called us to be and to do? What are His priorities for us? See, we can't just start making lists and going about time management, because much of what we're guilty of is letting other things control how we do that. When the phone rings, you answer it. There's a lot of control you give of your life then to the person who's deciding they want to interrupt your day. Do you realize if you always answer the phone when it rings or always immediately respond to a text, you're letting everyone else dictate how you use your time. Think about that. What is that phone call or that text a priority in what the Lord has called you to in that day? Are you shaping how you do your days based on your God-given priorities. So a real exercise of rebirthing and time management has to be starting by really focusing on what are those things most important to me and how am I beginning to shape my goals and my living based on those things? How am I protecting the time God gives me, stewarding it well, to get better at saying no to the things that are not as important, the squeaky wheels, the noise that that comes in and, and calls for my quick attention. Once we've identified what God has called us to, then we start to set some goals in an effort to now put to work in our days, in our weeks, in our seasons, what it would take to stay prioritized in those things God's called us to. And for some of that, it means making some changes to what we're committed to, what we've been doing with our time. So, quickly, you might say, well, I, you know, I work a job that takes a lot of time, but I want to be a better husband. I want to be a more attentive father. But where's the time in the day? Well, a prioritization of doing that or tending to that better might mean that you have to give up other things that you once said, like, I have to do this. I'm, a per, I'm not a morning person, so I have to sleep into this certain amount of time. What you've done there is made that a governing value in such a way where it may completely conflict with what God has actually said as your priority. And so to make war with that and make change to that, now I am prioritizing time to get to do things that I once thought I didn't have time to do. So once those goals are set, then you begin to plan and organize your days in such a way that helps you meet those goals. The call of my brothers as they leave this four-week training with me is, you don't get to go to bed until you have thoroughly thought through your next day and made a plan for it. When you don't go into your day with a real plan, what you're saying to God is, I'm just going to react to the way the world comes at me today. Instead of make a plan to steward what God's called me to do in a prioritized way and in, in controlling to the best of my ability the things I'm going to say yes and no to in order to accomplish those tasks. This is game changing. When we talk about being good stewards, you might hear all this and go, wow, Josh, this is a lot more than I'm ready to do or think I can do. No, no. God has entrusted you with these days. What are you, how are you going at it in such a way where you bring it back to him and say, Lord, here's how I stewarded it. Few people take time to really consider their life and time in such a disciplined and structured way. The problem is when we don't do this, we end up just living life, navigating our days on the fly, just getting by. This is, this is not good stewardship. Good stewardship of our days means we're intentional, we're invested, we're purposeful. Jesus taught on this. Look at Matthew 25, 14 through 30. He says, It will be like a man who goes on a journey and called his servants and entrusted them his property. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to their ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents at once traded with them, and he made five talents more. Also the one who had two made two talents more. But the one who had received one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After the long time, the master of those servants came to settle accounts with them. And he who had been given the five talents came for his brought the five more and said, Master, you've delivered for me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the glory of your master. He who had had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. Do you see, the, this guy's an excuse maker. Right away, he's making excuses. Wise in his own eyes. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you can have back what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming. I should have received what was mine with a little interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to every one who has will more who has will more be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth is jesus serious about this based on the final comments i would say very much so do you see Jesus' point in the parable? He's entrusted all of us different lots in life, different resources, different gift mixes, but one common purpose and priority, which is to make the most of our days he gives us to do the work he has called us to. For all of us who belong to Christ, this includes the testimony of the gospel to the lost, Studied and growing and maturing in Christ and His Word. Being discipled and making disciples. Serving others and playing your part in the church. If you work, it means working as unto the Lord. For some of you, this includes leading a wife or submitting to and helping a husband. For some of you, it includes raising the children God's entrusted you to and the disciplines and truths of the Lord. I could go on and on, but the point is, these are the priorities of God that He's given us His adopted children. Are you purposeful in these priorities? Or do you have other things that you've added to the top of the list? You're not so good at some of these things because you're good at X, Y, and Z, other commitments you've made. Other interests you have. Other things you choose to do with your time. How are you managing the time he's given you to do the things he's called you to well and unto the Lord? A recent parenting seminar I just sent out to you. If you're parents, I implore you to find 70 minutes to sit as a couple and watch that. Because within it is an important call to really consider your plan, your stewardship for how you're raising your kids in the Lord. I have found most parents have not been trained or have not really formulated a real plan for how I'm going to steward these lives in the short 18 years the Lord gives me when they're under my care. We don't get to just say, yeah, I protected them, I kept them out of nonsense, we had some good memories, and they turned out all right. Is that really what I bring back to God and say, here's what I did with that? Or is there a biblical plan? Is there priorities? Is there commitments that we're making to really steward their days, our days of parenting well? We must make plans, get trained, 
be disciplined to see it through, to be good stewards of our kids' lives. I don't want to be the person God calls to the table to show him only that I've squandered the time he gave me. I don't want to be the guy who always has excuses for why I'm not stewarding my life priorities well. We must be making the best use of the time. Now realize with me real quick that it's not just the lazy person who's guilty of being a poor steward. All of you who are really busy at life and kind of turn your nose down at people who are lazy, you can be just as guilty of this. The workaholic or overachiever can be just as guilty of being a poor steward because while you're busy, while you're very busy, you're busy for the wrong priorities. Therefore, not a good steward of what God's called you to. Instead of pleasing God with your pursuits and your focuses, your, your pursuits and focuses are on bonuses and temporary accolades and toys and lifestyle accomplishments. Ecclesiastes 1.3 What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Matthew 16.26 For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? We must be better stewards of our days. Again, do you take time each day before you go to bed to be planning and, and coming up with a, a good plan of attack and priority for the next day? Or do you just kind of say, hey, when I wake up and when I get to it? Or, or you go through just kind of doing your routine, but there's never really consideration of how you need to upset that routine in order to accomplish your priorities in the Lord. What you might need to start saying no to or put away. What are your priorities? What are your goals? What, what needs to get done? To not dictate, dedicate time to prayerfully make a plan is to haphazardly wake up and try to remember and stay committed to what needs to get done. Let me point out how this impacts your spiritual life. A lack of organization of your day or week is why many of you hardly ever practice with real commitment a healthy prayer life or healthy time in God's Word. You, you want to. You want to do that. But you never prioritize time. You never say, this is where I'll do it in a protected time that is hard to get upset. It gets a priority of my time so that it gets done. I'm willing to change or push off less important things to make sure there is no more excuse for why this is not happening. What about your personal life? Some of you couples fail to have any real romance or quality time together anymore because you just stay busy or because you're just simply lazy. You don't make it a priority to plan or to schedule sitters. Plan to go out on dates. If you want to start doing that, can I just help you with that? You make a plan to start doing it next week. You don't say, hey, I need to start doing that. So in the next 48 hours, let's make that happen. Oh, everyone's busy. We can't get sitters. Oh, yeah, okay, we can't do that. No, plan it for next week. When someone's willing to commit and you can get it on the calendar and it can be sure that it's going to happen. And they get good at getting out ahead of that. So it's because it's a real priority. What about God's calling your life to share the gospel? The work of the Lord he's put on you. God did not trust us with the gospel so we can just sit back and wait to see what comes our way. We need to manage it well. How are you serving the Lord? Have you been guilty of being one of those people this, this year and all that has happened of unplugging from regular service? You've gotten good at eating at the table, but not serving, not finding a way to get your hands back on, on an oar and being involved. It's our encouragement to you that you have a weekly way of serving. Have you been justifying a way out of that? 
Have you been finding a way with all that's happened to justify putting away stewardship of your finances? Again, I would say if God's given you an income, there is an opportunity and a command of the Lord to steward that first fruits of that income. The rest of your circumstances are for naught. He gave you an income, therefore your worshipful response should be happening. Stewardship of your testimony to others. Is it active? Is it happening? We must be diligent to be making plans, to be stewarding these things well. The elders just finished weeks of um, careful consideration of our operating budget for 2021, and we've approved a budget for 2021, and have a good plan there. If we don't do this, then we just manage our, ha- our finances haphazardly. Do you have a good budget for how you spend your money? If you don't, then you manage your money haphazardly. This is a perfect time of year. I would encourage you to be sitting with your loved ones and making a plan for just less than two weeks from now. January 1, a new year, a new budget. What is that commitment? Starting with understanding the income God's entrusting to us, our generous regular gift of that to the work of the ministry, and then with what's left. How are we saving and paying off debt? Managing those resources. If, if you're going to tell me today, but, but pastor, it's Christmas week. I'm busy with a lot of other stuff. Yeah, that sounds like the guy who never invested the coin. He just stayed busy with a lot of other stuff. You must steward these things. You must make time, prioritize time, to take these steps. Too many Christians are guilty of not making the best use of the time God entrusts to us. If this is you, then you're not managing your marriage or your health or your money or your relationships or your family. You're just going through your days trying to do your best. Looking forward to the next holiday or graduation. or And if that's you, I just say lovingly, church, that has to change. We are to be faithful stewards of the precious gift of life every day God gives us. Every day He entrusts it to us. Of the people He's put in our lives to know and to love and to lead. Of the resources, the gifts, the money He's entrusted to us to press out, to manage for His kingdom. A a few more quick things about time. Time is now. Jesus said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 1.15 Church, God has given you today the things that are important to God need to be important to us. They need to be things that we're doing today and not later. The Lord has given us today. He's not promised us tomorrow. So let's live for Him today and be good stewards today this leads us to a another reality about time that time is short are you aware of just how short this life is compared to eternity if it is short then let's make the most of it there is no time to waste Every day needs to be precious and treated with much respect. We need to be focused on what really matters, the work of the Lord. Our overclinging to temporary things needs to be adjusted so that we would be motivated to steward the Lord's priorities well in the short time we have. Listen to how serious the Apostle Paul takes this in his letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they have no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. There's a call to really pay attention to how have you had an overcling on the temporary in such a way that it has paralyzed you to be a good steward of the eternal. 
Are you the person who says, I'm really focused on my marriage or, or, or maybe you're really like caught up in a time of mourning and it's kind of paralyzed you. you that temporary thing has kind of slowed you down. Now, to be clear, and I say this every time we run into this passage, he's not saying if you have a spouse, like to treat him like you don't know him, okay? But he's saying there's a way to navigate that to do business with the fact that these temporary assignments, these temporary provisions are just that, they're temporary. And so they cannot be the reason that we're not focused on the eternal stuff, the God stuff. So we manage them rightly to do this well. And we don't use them as an excuse for why we're not doing the eternal stuff well. The time is short, church. The holy canon of Scripture is closed in Revelation 22.20. Jesus' words, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Are you ready? Are you ready for your master to come and call you to account? Are you the one guilty of not getting your house in order? Guilty of always postponing your God-given priorities? Saying, I'll get to it soon. Let me just work a little longer. Let me just rest a little longer. Again, hear Jesus' words, Matthew 25, 1-13. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. And afterward, the other versions came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Is your house in order? Or are you good at saying, No, I'm just going to, we're just going to get to that a little later? Got some other things I want to do now. Beloved, it is not okay to put off the things of God. Are you denying what He's made clear for you to do? Then do it. Repent and do it. Stop delaying. Stop making excuses. The time is now. Finally, notice with me Paul's emphasis at the end of Ephesians 5.16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. While we, the church, have been delivered from this present evil age, that's Galatians 1.4, very specifically said, we must make the best use of our time as God gives it to us. While we still walk in the valley of the shadow of death, and are in the presence of many enemies. That's Psalm 23. Christ is with us and at work through us until He takes us home to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Paul was clear to warn Timothy that many will not be careful of how they're living and will become susceptible to the evil of the days. 2 Timothy 4, 3-5 The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Are you the one who is maybe guilty of reading that passage and go, man, I feel sorry for the people who get caught up in that. But maybe you're closer to it than you realize because maybe you're good at making excuses for why it needs to be your way and not the Lord's way. For why you can't. For, for why you'll get to it later. Maybe when really pressed with some accountability, you'll be one to walk. Because at the end of the day, you're still Lord of your own life. And you don't want to submit to him. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry, church. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The enemy knows the time is short, Revelation 12, 12. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. When Paul says making the best use of time because the days are evil, there needs to be a sense of seizing every opportunity to do good, to do the work of the Lord, redeeming our days, rescuing them from waste, from abuse, from selfishness, from wickedness. I pray that you are motivated this morning to desire to take real inventory on what can be a very practical time in God's Word to really go to work, to make some personal time, to have some family meetings, to seek out some counsel if needed. And I leave you with similar words of encouragement for the church from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, 6-11. through 11. Will you stand with me as I read you this final passage? Peter says, humble yourselves. I've been doing this long enough to know that right there is where some of you are stuck this morning. Everything that's been good and full of the word, whatever part of you is still making an excuse, driving to want it to be your way, that's pride. Beloved, Humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time, this hour to, to gather and to, to worship you, to break bread, the Lord's table, to, to be blessed by prayer among the body and encouragement and exhortation and admonishment and accountability that, to, to serve within the body this morning in different ways. People are finding ways to do that, to, to be a blessing. Lord, I thank you for the word just two verses in Ephesians 5 have so much work to do in our lives. You, Lord, are at work in so many ways. And that this would be a great turning point for many who are guilty of being caught in some bad practices and routines and some laziness or some overworking on the wrong priorities that we would really long to be good stewards, to look carefully at how we are walking, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time you've given us, 
because the days are evil, we don't have time to waste. There's too much at stake. And so, Lord, do your work in us. That this Christmas time, this Christmas week, is a reminder that you've come to set us free. But you've also come to reign in our lives, to be our king. The king has come. The king is at work in us, and we are your people, and, and you've, you've commissioned us to go. And so, that this time of all of the wonder at what Christ did to put on flesh, all that it means for us, Lord, would be all the more motivation to worship you and live for you. Do your work, Holy Spirit, in each of us as we process these things and go from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.